You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. Let's join in for this week's message. It's an honor for me to be here, and I appreciate those kind words, Kobe. Because, you know, you never feel like that. Does anybody ever feel like they're great? (laughs) It could take somebody else to affirm you, you know. Uh, I think I already said this, but it's an honor for me to be here. I uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share God's word and what's on my heart. So I'm going to get right into this. I got a few things to say, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you that we're here to hear your word. And Lord, open our ears to hear what you're saying. And Lord, let the things that I'm saying that come out of me just pass right over. And what you're saying, that they hear, Lord. We give you glory and honor this morning. And thank you for all that you've done for us and that we're here today in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's all right. Don't worry about that. I'm used to that. So the title of this, and I kind of, I was talking to David about this. I've been getting ready for this for a while, and I come in last Sunday, and half of the scriptures that I had, (laughs) he's already using, you know. So, uh, but it's awesome. I told him him this Wednesday night, we were sitting at the Bible study, and I said, look, a couple of Sundays ago, before church started, I don't know if y'all can feel it, but God's doing something. And as soon as praise and worship started, I just picked up my little notebook and I wrote at the top, God expects a response. And I closed my book and we did worship. And David got up and started speaking and those exact words came out of David's mouth while he was preaching. God expects us to respond. And I'm not saying that to toot anybody's horn. What I'm saying is, is if God, if two rednecks can hear the same thing from God at the same time, surely all of y'all can too. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because God's always speaking. I I can't get away from that. He's always talking. We just ain't always listening. In everything, all the time. He's trying to speak to us, but we have to have ears to hear him. So I want you to open your ears this morning to hear what God's saying, because it doesn't sound like me. When you hear him speak, it's not going to be my voice talking to you. Something on the inside of you is going to be stirred. I love turkey hunting. Love it. I've been listening to habitat management and all this, because in case all y'all don't know, turkey populations are taking a nosedive in the United States. But one of the key things they always say is, you have, since we've influenced the, the environment, we have to disturb the land to promote growth of the things that are already in the seedbed. If you'll, like where hay's planted, if you'll disc that up and leave it alone, eventually wildflowers will come back. God put the seabed in there. It's the same way with us. If we're not disturbed, I thought about this last Sunday when David was preaching. I thought, some of that makes me uncomfortable. And then I kind of thought about all of us. And I thought, sometimes we can't see anything unless we get stirred up. And then Darice got up and started talking about this, and I thought about the same thing. In those rapids, when you're just coasting along and everything's smooth, it's easy to let down your guard. But when them rapids start, you see them rapids in the distance. Everybody tightens up. Or you don't, and you find yourself in the middle of it unexpectedly. It's not that the rapids aren't going to come in your life. But if you're listening... He'll help you prepare for it. So just know that I have 
went to great lengths in asking God to help me make you uncomfortable. Yeah, I said all that to say that. So I got you. Unless you Now, if you get up and walk out in the middle of this, we'll all know that you don't want to hear from God. So <clears throat> the title of this is What and What Not to Wear. It had about ten titles, but that's what I settled on. When something's out of place, it's where it doesn't belong, right? I mean, you can walk into a room if you have it set up a certain way and if you notice something's moved, it's out of place, right? I mean, that's the, when you hear the term out of place. But if a person feels out of place, it could also mean they're somewhere they don't belong. But just because you feel out of place doesn't mean that's true. Because like right now, if you feel out of place in here, that's just you. That's not true. Because God wants you here, gathered with a body of believers, and he wants you hearing what he's saying. So if you feel uncomfortable, it's just a lie. You'll settle in. But I got a verse about that. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Because what and what not to wear, that whole premise is about putting things in their place putting things where they go, whether it be putting it on or putting it off. In Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, the scripture pops into my head all the time when I, can't, when I get confused. And then I realize who it is we're interacting with, you know, <clears throat> In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. We need to remember this is the God we serve. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each having six wings with twain, in the King James, two covering his face and two covering his feet, and with, and with two he flew, or he was flying. And one angel cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. So you know you've arrived in worship when the doors rattle. So that's what's going on in the throne room of God. So babies crying and all that, that ain't nothing. We shouldn't even be that. We should be so loud in worship we can't hear babies crying. <laughs> it said that it said that the whole house was filled with smoke. And then in verse five it says, "And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone." This is Isaiah. He's having this vision. He says, "Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips." For mine eyes has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Considering what Isaiah saw, I can understand his response. I mean, just imagine whether he saw it in a day vision or whether he was sleeping and dreamt it. However he saw this vision, he found himself standing in the throne room of God, seeing all these things. He's pretty descriptive about what he saw. There are some visions you really, it's kind of hard to understand what they're actually seeing, but he saw it clearly. And his first response was, uh-oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm about to die. <laughs> this is way more than what I can handle. <clears throat> so in Isaiah, uh, in verse six, verses 6 through 8, well, Isaiah felt out of place, of course, because of where he was standing and where he knew he was from. That's what I meant to say with all that. But in Isaiah 6, uh, 6, 6, it says, Then flew one of the seraphims over to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this, this hath touched thy lips, 
and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying unto me, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. So he went in three verses from God's about to strike me dead, I shouldn't be here, to here I am, God, send me. Now this is a vision. It's symbolic, but when he got the revelation of what God was showing him, in the throne room he confessed. I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm a sinner. So he's confessing. God fixes the situation just like he does with us. Sends the angel down symbolically, cleanses him, and all of a sudden, his perspective, his perspective changes. We know this is just a vision because we know that the blood plus nothing washes away our sin. You know, it's just the blood of Christ that cleanses us. But in this vision, it's a symbol of being cleansed. And then he's called after he's cleansed. And then he says, send me. That's the same, same command we all get. Some of us answer, some of us don't. Send me, whether he's sending you out to your job, sending you to the rest of your family, wherever it is, God's sending you somewhere to share what he's given you. But God put Isaiah in his place where he belonged. He didn't feel like he belonged there, but God made sure and he corrected it. And then Isaiah's perspective changed. So regardless of how you feel or what holds you back, he's calling us to him. Just like in Matthew chapter 11, 28. It's easy to read scripture, especially when Jesus is talking because so often our hearts are for other people or our family or our kids, you know, and we, we're looking to encourage other people or seek peace for a situation. And we read scripture and we just kind of apply it generally. But just know, and I know y'all do know, that he's talking to you. So whether you've never been in church whether you don't know what I'm talking about right now, the words that I'm saying are confusing and you're not under, you don't really understand what I'm saying about, about spiritual things and hearing God and all that, don't worry, he's going to correct that because you belong here. <clears throat> but remember how Jesus called us and what he said to us. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That's what he's called us to. He called us to him, and he said he's going to give us those things. He didn't say there wouldn't be trouble. Matter of fact, he says there will be troubles. But he called us just like we are with all of our junk, all of our horrible feelings, our messed up minds, all of that, constantly. Just because you accept Jesus doesn't mean your, your brain that took you, you spent all your life twisting and screwing up. It takes time to fix that. Like Isaiah, the vision, this is how the burning truth, well, this, <clears throat> just like Isaiah, the vision that he had, the burning truth of God should affect us. When we hear it, we should be able to apply it and realize its effect on us. But we have to put his word in the right place. God's high and lifted up. And that's what his word is to us. That's how valuable it is. He is worthy of our praise. He's higher than our doubts and our fears, our feelings of shame and discomfort. God expects us to respond. He expects a response from us. If we're just waiting for magic, that's not what God's power is. He speaks, we respond. He did not talk to Moses at the burning bush until Moses said in his heart, I'm going to turn aside and see this thing. And when he decided to do that and took a step and responded, God started to speak. But if we just hear it and expect God to do all these things to us, yeah, yeah. then we're missing it. 
I'm just building all this up because I'm fixing to say something real hard and uncomfortable. So I'm trying to encourage you, get you. So if you're not yet, I'll pause and say some more good stuff because it's going to be rough. God expects us to respond. We must enter the fray. We have to fight the battle. We have to take part in the war and then move from battle to battle. Knowing that victory, the victory is already ours. Victory is heaven, salvation. Constant, what makes heaven heaven is constant communion with God, being with him. Right? I mean, otherwise, why do we want to go there? It's being with the one who saved us. That's what makes heaven heaven. But we live here. We live here. Just like that river in that graphic. That's how life is. You're not getting out of it. It's a war. It is a war. And when we move through these scriptures, if you expect Christianity to get to you to some point to where you're sitting in a tube, floating down the river with a cold drink in your hand for the rest of your life, I got bad news for you. <laughs> Especially if you think that way. You'll just constantly be in the rapids. Constantly. With your wife grabbing, the kids scattering and falling out of the tubes. And Y'all been there? Anybody ever done that? Knees on rocks. and Yeah. So I'm going to read you a definition. Of, the definition of war. War... The definition in Webster's Dictionary says, a state of usually open and declared armed hostile conflict between states or nations. A state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism. I just want you to think back. Everything may be going good in your life right now. I just want you to think back five or ten years and see if that doesn't describe your life. If it doesn't, praise God, you're in a season of coasting. But the rapids are coming. But I think all of us could probably pretty much describe our lives that way from time to time. The definition of a battle is a general encounter between armies, an extended struggle or controversy, a struggle to succeed or survive. We're in a war. And the peaceful times are just the gaps between each battle. Mm -hmm. The beauty of it is, is that Jesus provides everything we need to shorten those battles, be victorious from struggle to struggle to struggle, but they're not going away until you breathe your last breath. So when I say God expects a response, it's to every situation, every one of these battles. You cannot disengage or your family and your life will head down a trail that you, you really got to fight. Then you're losing ground, and you're not fighting from the high ground anymore. You're trying to gain ground. And anybody who knows anything about military tactics knows that you want the high ground. And if you'll be prepared from battle to battle to battle and stay on the high ground, your chances of... It's not that the battles aren't going to come, but they're going to be a lot shorter and a lot more concise and quick it's coming you see it you end it yeah. so we are engaged in a war but we live in battle to battle just know that I know that doesn't sound encouraging but it's the way it is I've done this too long to know I know better. I know better than to tell a new Christian, you just accept Jesus and everything's going to be all right. Well, it is when you die. <laughs> but between now and then, you're going to have to fight. It's hard to, you, you know, it's hard to relate to somebody you're talking about spiritual victory when they just came out of living hell. And that that peace and freedom is deep. And it's what carries you through all those struggles. 
but they want relief immediately. They want to know, and I feel like that's where the church globally has failed Christians by not teaching them that they're in this fight and that there are things that he expects us to do, things he expects us to respond to. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we've been reading this scripture a bunch on Wednesday nights, the Bible study. <clears throat> it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of might. Everybody's heard this verse before, this, this uh, scripture. In verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So verse 13 says, take the whole armor of God. That's something you have to do. Like, you don't say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and save me, and then he suits you up. You have to go get that thing and put it on. This is your armor for war. In verse 14 it says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, not your truth, his truth. Like in John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto me, comes unto the Father but by me. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, I'm adding some stuff in here, other verses. His righteousness imparted to you, imparted to you like in 1 Corinthians, but it is due to him that are in Christ Jesus who became to us from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That kind of righteousness. So far he's given you both the things that you need listed in the armor. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace being our foundation. In John 14, 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, I do not give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor fearful. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. And in Romans chapter 12, it says that he gives all of us a measure of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. In verse 17, in the helmet of salvation, because by grace we are saved. And not of ourselves, but it's a gift. That helmet is a gift. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder, a soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word of God. In verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So that armor that he calls out, if you look at each piece of it, you can go find where he's providing that for you. But you've got to realize what that is. Read that for yourself. The Word of God is intended to look at it, read it, and dwell on it. Get it in you. Not read it and wait for God to do some magic. Like, you can't sleep on the Bible at night and just get in you. You know, not, there's no osmosis for Scripture reading. But you've got to dwell on the Word of God to get it in you. Just like you dwelled on sin and how you were going to figure out to get what you needed, that's how you've got to do with the Bible and the Word of God. You've got to dwell on it. That's how our minds work. <clears throat> so, if you look some more, there's some other things. The battle attire. So that's, the, that's for the war. All those things that God provides, salvation, faith, all that. 
That's what you have to have to go into the war. And that's what you get when you're saved. He gives you all those things. And if you don't think you have them, he offered them, he gave them. You've got to acknowledge it and go get them. But there's some more stuff he asks us to put on, take off all this. So let's move to uh, last Sunday, David uh, read from this scripture. But I just want to remind you before I go into the battle attire, what you've got to put on and take off for battle. Let's read Mark 7. 20 through 23. It says in verse 20. And he said, That which cometh out of a man defiles the man. For within, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. I challenge men specifically to take this verse, Mark 7, 20 through 23, take it home today, read it through word by word, line by line, and see if all most of those things that are in there is not what the world considers a man. Look at the most popular people now in our culture and see if that isn't their lifestyle and how they think. But that's not what I'm preaching, so let's move on. Just know that all that stuff is in us if we will choose to live by it and live by our human nature. Man, y'all ain't smiling, and I ain't heard, Coy, I ain't heard one amen. I told him, I said, I need, I need to hear some amens out of you. Well, he's back there with headphones on him. <clears throat> so we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is some good stuff, y'all. I'm excited even if you're not. This is hard because oftentimes when somebody speaks, you feel like they're picking on you or they're pointing something out. And usually you probably are guilty or you wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> but this, these things have to be talked about, kind of like a big brother to a little brother. Or a, I have these talks with my brother, maybe not about Bible things, but he always would encourage me and tell me how to handle a situation. Right, Dan? So in Colossians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 5, before we put on anything, this is what we're told to kill. In Colossians 3, 1 through 5, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death in your members which are on, on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Don't you find that interesting that he calls that idolatry, all those things? The things that are mentioned in Mark that proceed out of a man's heart. What's idolatry? Idolatry is anything that will take God's place in your life. If you do any of those things, then you've put, God, you've put, you've put that thing in God's place. Uncontrolled desire, passion. If you can't control that, then it is your God. Like when people just say, I don't know, I know people say it jokingly all the time, I just can't control myself. That's what you're saying. If you're saying you've lost control and I have to do this thing, then as a Christian, you've put that in front of God. He's asking us, he's telling us, kill this. Don't this remind you of Joshua and Jericho in chapter 6? You read that in the Old Testament, you think, man, that's rough. Kill every man, woman, child, beast of the ground, everything that they touch. Why? 
when you look at these things, these thoughts and these actions that we're, we're, we're all capable of doing, it's all replacing God. And in the Old Testament, that's a symbol. If he, if he would have taken those people into that city and mingled them with all those people that had pagan gods, you talk about a mess. It's hard for us to fathom that happening. But that's Old Testament history that is a sermon to us, just like in Colossians. Kill these things. Not put it back so you can get it off the shelf later, like a book you ain't never going to read. Kill it. Put it to death. Bury it. Walk off from it. Do not do these things. Because it says right after that, in verse 6, and I don't know if I gave you all this, but because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, or the people in the world, in which you yourselves, when you lived in them, when you lived in the world, those are the things that are common, and wouldn't even bat an eye at it. So now we get to the what, what and what not to wear part. In verse 8, Colossians verse 8, 3, 8. <clears throat> it's interesting the way this is worded, to put these things off. You got to do it, it's what it's saying. I, I, I've worked on this for years. It is a natural reaction for me to be offended, or when I hurt, to lash out. There was a time in my life where if you said something I didn't like, I would just punch you in the mouth. At the stop and go, at work, it didn't matter. And that's taken me years. For years... That was my, even as a Christian, that was my first thought. And I had to wrestle it. Beat it into submission. And not do it. I, I'm not lying to y'all. You can ask my brother back there. I still felt that way. And that was my battle to fight. Because I knew Jesus did not want me to do that. But I would be offended or somebody would say something. And inside... You don't even want to know. Pick up that cash register and hit him in the head with it. That kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's a fight. When your mind works that way and you've lived that way, you got to put out some effort. You have to fight that. You can't say as a Christian, I, I just don't have any control over it. I just can't do that. He's telling you in this verse, in these scriptures, put this off. You don't do this. So if you're praying for Jesus to keep you from doing it, I got some bad news for you. He's telling you to not do it. You put these things off. Put, in verse 8, put now your, but now you yourselves are to put off these. You need to take these things off of you. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you say you've put off the old man and his deeds. So when you say, well, it's just who I am. Well, which one of you? Are you saying the old man that Jesus killed and brought back to life? Or the new you that he's telling don't do any of this stuff? Because you got you to get that settled in you. Am I talking about the old me or the new me when you say that's just how I am? One of them's a lie. Either you're not a new man, a new creation, or you're the old guy. 
You don't get to pull that over to the new guy and say, well, that's just how I am because Jesus killed it. That's your job to put it on or off. You don't get the excuse of, well, that's just how I do. Oh, so you're, well, never mind. You're saying Jesus made you a, yeah, okay. You even got you a bumper sticker. Yeah. And then in verse 10, it says, at the end of verse 9, it says, Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, in verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. So that Christ that is high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. This is who you serve. This is who your God is. Not the old you. There's no comparison. And for you to act like that that God that is high and lifted up and his thoughts and ways are so much higher than ours, isn't capable of killing the old you. The only thing that keeps it alive are your thoughts. Because he killed it. The scripture says he did. Now you just need to believe that too. Yes, you believe he died for you. But you need to believe that he changed you. He's given us the power to do it. All the tools we need. But we keep dragging the old man out of the grave and using that as an excuse. And he's dead. The only thing left are his trashy, junky thoughts. And they live in your head. I know, I still got some too. But it takes effort to drive them out. It's a constant thing in your life. That's why when you're moving from battle to battle to battle, the more of the new man that God's Spirit speaks to and encourages on how to live and work through those issues, that's the one you need to be listening to. Because that's the, that you is what's in communion with God's Spirit. Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden. When y'all go back and read that, there's a whole lot of Bible in that first chapter of the Bible in Genesis. Then he walked and talked with God. That's what he returned us. That's what Jesus gave us back. It's not just so you can get you a cross necklace and a bumper sticker and a couple of amens. God expects something from you. You don't get to just be the old you that goes to church. This isn't me talking, and David's gone. He didn't tell me to say this. I know this because I love so many people in my life and ministered to people over the years that just struggle and struggle and struggle, and they just want something magic to happen. But just like anything else, it's work. So just like putting off the bad things on March the 12th, I'm going to give you 12 things that you have to put on besides all that armor. So in verse 3.12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on... I want to read that again. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. He's talking to you. I just want to go over that for a second. Because I feel like that is an issue with Christians. Because the first thing you want to say, especially when you're talking to somebody that does not believe and that is not a Christian, it's a hard concept for us to get a handle on. But I'm going to explain to you why it has to be true. Raise your hand if you consider yourself holy. Okay, everybody raise their hand. Just everybody raise their hand. God said you are holy. 
Now raise your hand if God says you're holy. Just said it in this verse. Don't feel condemnation. I'm not telling you you can run off and do whatever you want and call it holy. In that movie, The Kingdom of Heaven, my boys have always joked. They'd go out and slaughter 100 people and all look at each other and holler, God wills it! And that made it okay. <laughs> we just go kill them all and then, God wills it! That's not how that works. But unless he had made you holy, you can't be in his presence and live. That's just how it works. You don't understand it. I can't. I struggle even myself seeing it. But the fact is, when you read scripture about you being holy, now that's not for you to go run around and get you a bumper sticker that says, I'm holy. Because then ain't nobody going to listen to a word you say. But just know that's what he gives us in confidence, that he imparted that to us, his righteousness. He died on the cross so that we could live, and he made us holy. Not we did anything, he made us that way. He restored us back to walking and talking with Him. And I hate to pick on the men, but I want you all to be careful when I read these things. Because this is what God says a man is. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, number five, number six, Bearing one another, putting up with one another. Number seven, forgiving one another. If anybody has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. For that reason, there are a lot of sick and weak Christians because they can't forgive. You have to. I'm just telling you right now. If you're wondering if you need to forgive somebody for something, I'm telling you right now. I can say it with 100% assurity. Yes, you have to forgive them. Because Jesus said, how can I forgive you if you won't forgive them? You have to forgive. I promise you this. If you're struggling with that and you feel like you're going nowhere with God, forgive them and see what happens. And then come tell me about it in a couple of weeks. I can stand here flat-footed and say, honestly, that I have no doubt that if you have unforgiveness in your heart and you will go to them and ask them to forgive you or you forgive them, within a couple of weeks you'll be coming to me and telling me what's changed. That's how powerful it is. It is disarming and it will make your worst enemy fall down into the floor and cry. You have to forgive. You're not tough if you don't forgive. You're just miserable. My number seven, or number eight, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, uh, forgiveness, and then eight, the eighth thing of the 12 things on March the 12th is put on love. And the ninth thing in verse 15 it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace is not floating on a cloud. Peace is like sitting at a table prepared in the presence of your enemies. All hell's breaking loose, and nobody understands why you're calm. That kind of peace. Not Tiptoeing through daisies, peace. What good is peace if you can't have it when everything's in chaos? Verse 16, this is the 10th one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So dwell on his word. <clears throat> Verse 17 is the 11th one. And whatever you do in word or, do, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, to God the Father. That's why we pray over our food. Whatever you do, you do it like you're doing it for Jesus. Your job, like when you think, well, I know I got that to do. 
Don't you guys that work in plants, you ain't got nobody fool. There's a spot, a good hiding spot, usually with a chair and an air conditioner that nobody ever goes. If you think you're doing your job and you're being honest by doing that at your own at your job and not doing what you're supposed to do, that's for you to reason out. But we skip over all these little things we do. Essentially, that's theft. You're getting paid for doing nothing. <laughs> and swearing that you do. I'm just talking about the little things. These are battles that you got to fight. Little battles. That's how you win. That's how you become victorious in life. In salvation in heaven, you got, you're got one. But to win the battles here and how life is and how life goes every day. And if you want people to honor you and respect you and you gain favor with God and men, then every little battle, you choose to do the right thing. So much so that that battle will disappear and you won't have to fight it anymore. So whatever you do, do it in, in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. And the last and best one, number 12 in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Okay, there's a lot more than 12, so I'll keep going. I just thought that was a good spot. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> I know some people heard me say that and thought, oh my, where did we just go? Verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them, even though they haven't submitted to you. No, don't say that. <clears throat> 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Look into that. Read that in another version about what you cause your children to think and feel about you based on your words. Your intentions might be good. I'm bad about that. My intentions are good. But the way the words come out of my mouth sure does sound like they're in trouble. He even talks to slaves. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what has been done, for what he has done. And there is no partiality. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. If you do these things or don't do these things, it affects you here now in this life. If you're good to people, what you sow, you reap. I don't care how much you give, how much you donate, how many times you speak in church, what you do. If you don't put those things off and these things on, what's different? What's different? So, lots of times you can preach something like this and it hits you heavy. You can have a good old altar call. But that's not what God's telling me. God's telling me to go, for y'all to go read Colossians. If you're struggling or if you're wondering, this is not about condemning anybody. This is about putting things in place. Put it where it belongs so that you can reduce the chaos in your life. When win those little battles that you struggle with all the time, get that taken care of. Let's sort that out. I don't need to be fighting that every day because it ain't right. I don't need to be doing it. Kill it. And move on to the next one because there's plenty. Am I right, JT? There's a bunch of things you're going to have to fight all the time. But kill the ones you can kill. That way you're only fighting all that from the outside. The enemy. We give the devil too much credit sometimes. We create the chaos. We do the things. And then we blame the devil because we acted stupid. 
You can't just go quit your job and then complain you ain't got groceries. The devil stole my job. No. No, he didn't. You did that. So I want to pray with you. I want you to consider these things and dwell on them. Because it's not just armor you got to put on. It's how you act and how you talk. Not to be a pleaser of men. But if you'll please God, then everyone's life around you will be better. Everything will look better and feel better and you'll be in more control because you'll be ready to fight the battle. Whether you see it coming or it just pops up, you'll be ready. So all you tough men know that that's what tough is. That's what tough is, is guarding your family and applying God's word to those problems. That's what being a man is, a man of God. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you you provided everything we need. We thank you that our hearts are, hearts are open to you and that our ears has, have led in your word this morning that this is for us, from you. For me, for every person sitting in this room, Lord, your word is for us. And these corrections and admonishments are for all of us, Lord. Let us receive them, hear them, put them in our hearts, and do them. We give you glory and honor today, Jesus, and thank you for all you've done for us. Amen.